Good morning. How are you doing? It's, I'm happy to be here. We are uh, rich and blessed by Marlo and Miriam's friendship. And we're around when, uh, what, two of your babies were born? Uh, one kind of came with a package, and then we saw the other ones come into the world. And uh, what a great family. Um, I want to say thank you, uh, church, for your support of Vanguard. We just have this in our heart that we want to advance the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ in every Christian, whatever that uh, looks like. Uh, we, we focus on leader development, but we just have a passion for, for people growing in their relationship with Jesus, in their knowledge of the Word of God, in uh, the mission to which, for which God has created them. I'll talk about some of those things uh, this morning uh, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Uh, we want to talk about the mystery revealed. So mystery, uh, mystery to us is this, you know, ooh, you know, what is that? You know, what's going on here? Uh, that's not the way the Bible uses the word mystery. Mystery means something that wasn't known, but now is known. Okay, it was a, it was a secret that has been told. And the big picture secret that we'll talk about is, now, now I, I suppose there could be people of Jewish background here this morning, uh, but typically in our context, people who are non-Jewish. And the mystery is this, that you, whoever you are, whatever's going on in your life and whatever your background is, whatever your past, you always were in the mind and the plan of God. You, in particular. The church was always God's design, even from way back in the Garden of Eden. That's us. That's the mystery. That's the mystery that was hidden under the guise of the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple. The working of God among His people, Israel. And the history that we read in the Old Testament. All the stories of God. And His power and His love and His revealing and His law. And His righteousness and His judgment and His mercy. It was all in the context of Israel. But what I want you to appreciate this morning is that it is actually your history too. And we'll look at some verses even that will tell us specifically, which is part of this mystery, that Abraham is actually not simply the father of Israel, the father of the Jews, but equally in the mind and intention of God, Abraham is our father. Abraham is the father of all who believe. So, what we want to talk about this morning is the context of that mystery, the implications of that mystery. We want to talk about belonging. 
And in a world that is entirely enamored with digital connection, that is pretty low cost, pretty low key, and ultimately pretty low value, God's idea of belonging is very different. And the reality that I am not only a, I am not a, an afterthought in the plan of God, oh, it didn't work with Israel, so let's try with a new bunch of people. We're not default. We're not latecomers. We're not God's second choice. We are what God planned from the beginning. And what he does is he brings us into relationship and our, our meaning, our joy, our fulfillment is in belonging. Belonging to God and his family, but, but secondly, belonging to each other in this local context. So we'll talk about belonging. We'll talk about transformation. The world talks a lot about education and, and is very idealistic. But the one thing that every philosophy and psychology and belief system, the one thing that it lacks is not the ideal, but the power to become. And the gospel offers us, as part of our belonging package, kind of part of our membership deal that we got, is the power to change, the power of transformation. Not simply as psychology can provide for us, sometimes beneficially, not simply behavior modification, but inner transformation. I can become a different person. There's power to be transformed. And, uh, and then we'll talk about this whole sense of belonging and try and grasp hold of the, the meaning that God puts into that for us in terms of our mission, our purpose. So we'll talk about belonging, transformation, and purpose. So let's read together. Let's read together... Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 to 13. So we'll read it in the New Living Translation. If you have your uh, analog Bible, open it up. If you have your digital Bible, open it up and we'll go through this together. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 to 13. When I think of all this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Okay, so this is the mystery. That's not a mystery anymore. Both Jews, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally 
in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to speak to our hearts today. Teach us something that warms us, that moves us to comprehend the vast infinite, eternal, transcendent love of God for each of us. That we are yours and you are ours. And Father, if there's somebody in this room this morning who knows deep in their heart they don't belong yet. There's a longing and a need and I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw somebody in this room to a belonging relationship with Jesus today. Father, we're in areas of our life, every one of us, without exception, in areas of our life where there's still darkness, habits, sins, attitudes, character flaws, frustrations and brokenness with who we are. Father, I pray that you would inspire in us the working of the Holy Spirit that beckons us, calls us forward to be transformed, to be more and more like Jesus. And I pray again today, Lord, that we would grasp hold of the mission of God, the purpose of God in sending Jesus and in sending the church, and in sending me to our world, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to people that we meet, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, grab hold of the mission that our light can shine in a world that is very dark and desperate. So come Holy Spirit and accomplish in us today what you want, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's look, take just a little orientation, okay? We're going to do biblical history in three minutes. We'll prevent you from having to go to Bible college. 
there's a, there's a context to this passage. There's an immediate context, and then, of course, there's a, a uh, more historical, comprehensive context that, that helps us to interpret this. Of course, you know, p- passages of the Bible and their favorite verses and important words, uh, they don't exist in isolation. They exist in a context. So let's look at that context. The context is, of course, the redemptive plan of God. And the Bible tells the story of the world, the story of people and the story of God working in that world from our very origins and the problem that came in through disobedience to God, rebellion against God and against His commandments, to the initial stages of God's solution to that plan, Then the journey forward of the outworking of God's presence in the world. That is the Christian God. The Christian God that is active and present in this world. The working out and the the particular details of God's plan and purposes begins very early in the book of Genesis. Halfway through the third chapter. And we'll skip a few hundred years or more until we come to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 17 verse 5 where we hear in hindsight some of the profound mystery that God was going to do focusing in particular on a man at that point who's about 75 years of age, 70 years of age and his name is Abraham. And Abraham's life is characterized primarily by the word that we call faith. He heard God speaking to his heart and he obeyed. Thus begins this profound activity of God throughout the stories of the Old Testament. And what follows is God's History with his people primarily focused within Israel. The story of profound revelation. And he began to make promises to people. To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And we witness the story of the exile in Egypt. Escaping the famine and how that exile turned into slavery. And the story of God's deliverance from slavery. How God revealed Himself at Mount Sinai. And He laid out His nature and His character and His expectations on His people. And how He led them through the wilderness and signs and miracles and unbelievable things that God did for His people. Even bringing them into their promised land. The land that He promised 430 years earlier. And the story of conquest, how Israel took this land, not because they were better than the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Perizzites, and the Mennonites aren't in there, but but they could have been. I was one. And... uh, not because the Israelites were so much better, but because these people were so, so they, were, they, were, they were just so, so depraved. 
so depraved, morally, sacrificing their children to their gods, evil, evil, evil practices. And God establishes his people and he sets up kingdom and kings for them and he sends his prophets to monitor the relationship between the people and their God. And how God continued to work powerful miracles and signs in their presence to just constantly reaffirm his lordship and his love for them. But it was ultimately a failed history. It was ultimately the story of the people who never really got it. But out of that people and the divine providence and providence of God came Jesus Christ, the central protagonist in history, the Son of God incarnate, but still part of the Jewish history. Jesus was a Jew. And to this point, God's manifest presence in what he wanted the world to know about himself happened in the context of Israel. And really what it left is the impression that they're in and we're out. And yes, the fear of God was stirred in the nations around Israel, but it was an us and them kind of a thing. And within Israel, very clearly what had developed was an attitude and a mindset that it is an us and them. A me and you. And I'm in and you're not. But along the way, as you read your Old Testament, you will have snippets of variance in that. We meet a man named Melchizedek. If you're looking for a boy's name, that's a good one. Not a Jew, but a priest of the Most High God. We meet the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. Not a Jew, but a chosen vessel of God. We meet the people of Nineveh. Repenting of their life, their lifestyle, their choices, their practices, their habits. Not Jews. And so there are snippets that tell us, well, maybe God is interested in more than just Israel. You see, we have to know this if we're going to understand. Let's go to the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 3, and you will have done that over the past few Sundays in Ephesians, uh, quite logically, chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 really begins to explain to us that God's plan was to bring redemption through Jesus' death on the cross, which was my death. He paid my price. We call that substitutionary atonement. Jesus is my substitute, making the way clear to be reconciled with God. In other words, he took my sin out of my soul and life, and he put it upon his own soul, his own shoulders. He bore the weight of it, freeing me from the consequence of sin. 
And through that, providing redemption for people, a way out of their sin and their brokenness, and bringing to people who are dead, who were dead in their sin, new life through the person of the Holy Spirit. This was the mystery, that God did this not just for David and Abraham and Elijah, but for you, for you, for me. In fact, he says, and if you remember from Ephesians chapter 1, which would have been a while ago for you, that God chose us in him from the foundation of the world. So you talked about that, I'm sure, that you were chosen. This is all a mystery. You, like, if you've been in Christianity for, I don't know, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, 10 years, however long, this is like old hat to you. Yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that, know that. But, that, but, but let, let me tell you something. In Paul's day, this was earth-shattering. It caused him immense grief, suffering, and loss, persecution from his fellow countrymen. He ultimately ended up in prison and before Caesar and undoubtedly lost his life for what he believed so strongly. And so God, listen carefully, God did not start a new religion. He started a new creation. And the rest of history, he's going to work it out. And the new creation begins in your heart and in my heart when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us when we surrender to Jesus. When we acknowledge our brokenness and the emptiness of our life and the pain and the futility. And do we give residence to God within us? Miracle of miracles. That's where redemption begins. And the promises of God, because God has not stopped making promises, and he still makes promises to us in his word that we haven't seen yet, but there is a day coming when Jesus himself will descend from heaven and through a series of events will culminate everything on this earth. And every one of us will stand before him and give an account of our life to him. And then he's going to sort out those who are his and those who are not and those who are not to a destiny of eternal separation from God, the torment of torments. And to those who love him in their heart and in eternity rooted on an earth and in the heavens that are renewed by the power of his word where sin and temptation and evil and brokenness will never, never again darken the horizon of human existence. That work and all of those promises, you can know to be absolutely sure by one indisputable proof. 
And that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. He is the down payment, as Paul says in Ephesians. He's the promise keeper that God will finish what he began. And the evidence, the assurance that you and I have is that I am not alone in this body, but the Spirit of God lives in me. That was more than three minutes, but that's the essence of biblical history and the kingdom of God. And Paul takes a slice out of that in terms of his ministry. And let's just take a few moments to look at Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. Uh, and I just want to show to you that um, God gives kind of textual clues about what's really important. So if you have your Bible, keep it open. Keep it open however you open your Bible and just walk through this with me. Okay. Ephesians 1, 1 to 13, Paul's giving a testimony that God called me to tell Gentiles that they're no longer out. They're actually it. And the door is open to God Access to God. He began there in, I think it's chapter 2, verse 19 or so. He talked about access to God, which was, you know, the holy of holies in the temple where we couldn't get in before. We don't need to go to the temple anymore. We go into the very holy presence of God through Jesus who gave his life for me and the Holy Spirit who makes God real to me. And Gentiles are now invited to this experience. They're invited into this communion. And that's the ministry that God gave him. So if you look in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, you'll notice in verse 2, he talks about a special responsibility. And then in verse 9, he talks about this ministry that God gave him to explain to everyone. Now, Verse 2 and verse 9 use exactly the same Greek word, and it means stewardship or administration. It's the word that we use to describe our economy. This grand system, promises of God, working of God, in all things together to accomplish his plan. And this was given to Paul. So he talks about this special responsibility and this ministry in verse 2 and 9. So I'm going to pick something before the central theme and something after. And we'll just zero our way in to the very center, which I'll get, let the cat out of the bag because I'm not a big cat fan, is verse 6. So, secondly, verse 2 and verse 8, he talks about what God gave him. And then verse 8, he was chosen. Again, the same word before and after. Thirdly, this mysterious plan he talks about in verse 3 and verse 9. He says he didn't, it was not revealed, but now it is displayed in verse 5 and verse 10. And he talks about Christ, the protagonist, in verse 1 and verse 4, and then again in verse 8 and 11. 
So all of those things identify the orientation of the, of the passage, but bring us into the center, which is verse 6. And verse 6, I'll read it again, we did before. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. Core, central, thesis, that's the mystery. Let's take a little look at how profound and meaningful this is. We'll look at three aspects to which I've already alluded. We'll look at belonging. Belonging is both a spiritual reality, but it's also a contextualized reality. It's a thing that I belong to God, that I'm his child, but it's also a reality that for those who are in Christ, meeting in a local context like this, that we are brothers and sisters living our life together as children of God. We'll talk about transformation because we're going to look at Paul himself. We need to look at who's saying this. Transformation, which is simply the evidence and the process of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And then we'll look at mission or purpose, which comes with belonging to the family of God. All right, belonging. That's, that's the central thesis of verse 6. We belong. God's history is ours. He talks in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, and Galatians 3, verse 29, and Romans 4, verse 11 and 16. He talks about something that's, that's really upsetting to Jews and really an unbelievable moment for Gentiles. And he basically says this, he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you something about yourself. He is one who is a Jew inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, cutting away the old life, the things that don't belong, the things that are not part of God's kingdom. That work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. He says that's what a true Jew is. And he goes on in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4, and he says, Abraham is the father of us all. And he's writing to Gentiles. You are not an outsider to the historical people of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've belonged from the very beginning. And what that means is Israel's history is your history. And the stories of Abraham are your stories. And the revelation of God in the Old Testament is God's revelation to you of his nature and his character and his love and his power. Israel's history is your history. You're not a latecomer, you're not second class. You know, I met people who, and I have Jewish friends. In fact, our former president was Jewish. 
But I've met people who actually mitigate the freedom of the gospel. And I met a guy, he was Lutheran, German, and he wanted to dress like a Jew and act like a Jew, and he thought he was a rabbi. And he thought, buddy, read your Bible. And the truth is, politically, socioeconomically, in world politics, Christians ought to be the very best of friends with Jews. Ought to be. But don't look at the Jewish people like they were first and you're second. Because God set aside Jewishness and He set aside being a Gentile and He created something new into which both Jew and Gentile were invited. A third person called a Christian. And God's work now focuses upon the church, upon Christians. And whatever lies ahead for Israel, and which I pray is a renewal of faith in God, but it will happen through the context of Jews becoming Christ followers. Because God's got one person, the one who has faith in Jesus. And all of his favor and all of his love and all of his power and all of his blessings are now focused on the follower of Christ, his intention from the beginning. So don't ever feel like you're not important. You might have come into the family of God two weeks ago, but your history began before the world was created. There is no privilege that supersedes that. You belong. And you ought never to disparage yourself because of your past. And you might say, I got three broken marriages. I was in prison. I was addicted to drugs. I've done things that I'm so ashamed of talking about. And you ought never to let your past and your history disparage you. Because when you come to faith in Jesus, you belong to God. And He loves you deeply, regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, regardless of your story, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your gender, regardless of anything in your life, He loves you and you belong to Him. You belong. And that's the mystery upon which Paul's ministry was centered. Transformation. I want to talk about transformation because of Paul, because of the person that's writing this. Paul says, if you want to read kind of his CV, his resume, uh, but it's more of a, it's more of a recitation of this privileged identity that he had before Jesus, a Jew of Jews. The tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, which is like 
beyond district superintendent. Pretty close to general superintendent. As to the law, I was blameless. He says, I was, I was the epitome of what it meant to be a good Jew. But then he says something at the end. I think it's chapter 3, verse 7, maybe, or 8. He says, everything that was to my advantage, I throw it all away for the sake of knowing Jesus. And here is a man who was, he was on a mission before. We meet him in Acts chapter 7. After his compatriots, and he's there, stone a young man by the name of Stephen. Kill him. Stone him to death. And Paul is enraged by Christianity, by Christians. And he goes from village to village, town to town, city to city, rounding them up and throwing them into prison. Protecting the pure Jewish heritage. And then Jesus gets a hold of him on the Damascus Road. You can read that story. And Paul is changed. Listen. Listen, this is not just for Paul. Paul is changed in the very way that his mind works. He starts thinking new thoughts. He's changed in, his, in the very desires of his heart. He's transformed. The compulsions and motivations of his life are transformed. Not by the strength of his considerable will or by New Year's resolutions or by protective apps on his phone or boundaries that he constructs in the will of his flesh, but they are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who has made him a new person. And that is what is ahead for you. Now, I, don't, I, I care very much about what's going on in your life. In the sins with which you struggle and the temptations that you have and the weaknesses with which you have to live. And I want to encourage you, you just keep fighting. You just keep going. But I'm telling you what's going to happen is at some point, Jesus is going to reveal himself to you and the Holy Spirit's going to minister to you and you will experience transforming power. That's the only way we could be made like Jesus. So don't be discouraged. If you have a testimony that I struggle and I fail and I repent and I get up and I go again, all I want you to do is keep doing that, but believing that somewhere God is going to touch your life and he's going to change you. He's going to transform you. He's going to infuse in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, newness of life. And you will before long take all of those dark and dirty things in your life and throw them on the scrap heap of life because God is making you like Jesus. The Christian message is not just doctrine and theology and statements of principle. It is a message of transforming power. It is the only thing in the world that changes the heart of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. There is nothing else. There is no other plan. 
And if you're here and you're outside of Jesus and your life is falling apart or you've struggled and you say, I'm going to do this my way. I'm just going to make this work. I'm, I'm going to get educated. I'm, in fact, I'm going to be part of a religious community and that's going to bring some principle into my life. I'm going to tell you, it might mask some of the things, but it will not reach into the core of your soul and transform who you are as a person. You need to surrender to Jesus. You need to. Part of my privilege is to tell you, and part of Pastor Marlowe's privilege is to tell you that we can save you years and months of struggle and struggle if you will come to Christ and allow Him to do in your life what you know needs to be done, but to this point in your life, you just haven't been able to do it. And it's a lie. It's a lie that tells you, you just need to keep tweaking things and you'll find the solution. It's not going to work. Purpose. We'll just quickly go through this and then we'll close. You see, Paul, Paul is driven. I, I, I read, I, I like when I read about David or Elijah. I like, I like reading their psychology. I like reading what's going on in their mind and their heart. And Paul is this guy who is so driven and focused. He's about as type A as you can possibly get. And he's on a mission to destroy the church, this byproduct, perversion of Judaism. But when Jesus got a hold of him on the road to Damascus, not only did Paul find acceptance by the Jesus that he had so long rejected, and no, not only did he find the beginnings of transformation in his life, his whole mission changed. And the one that he had fought all his life so desperately now became the compulsion of his life. Paul became the foremost church planter the world has ever known. He became the foremost authority on Jesus, really, in his letters. He became the church builder, the miracle worker. And do you know where he is as he's writing this letter? He's in prison in Rome. And he says, I've never been as free as I am today. That is not the Paul that we meet in Acts chapter 7 and 8. Because he's got something in his life that's compelling him, a mission and a purpose. And I'm just telling you here today, you need to grasp hold of that in your life. You need to stop figuring out how God can fit into your agenda and your plan and your mission, and you need to figure out how you're going to fit into God's. This is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It is not a club to which we show nominal allegiance. It is not a mission for which we show momentary preference. 
And one moment we're all in, and the next moment we're just focused on our own goals and our own objectives and our own agenda for our life. It is the intention of God that his mission would consume you entirely. And it is the only thing you will find out at the end of your life, you will find out it is the only thing that was worthwhile pursuing. To know God and do everything that it takes to get to know God and to make him known and do everything that it takes to make him known. And what is your place in that? Where do you fit? Where do you fit? I pray that the Holy Spirit is calling you. I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and that he has spoken to you this morning. And as we close, would you just bow and allow me to pray for you? Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to you. Where do you fit? What I want to do, I just, I have to begin here. You're here this morning and you feel like you're an outsider to the plan of God. There's brokenness in your life. There's a disconnect. But you feel in your chest, in your heart, today, an invitation to come to Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to say that that's the Holy Spirit calling you to follow, to surrender, to belong to this incredible family, this incredible plan, this incredible privilege of being a son or a daughter of God. And if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you want to respond, just pray these words. Jesus, I surrender to you today. Forgive my sin and my failure. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, you've become a child, a son or a daughter of the living God. And you have entered the greatest privilege of your life, the privilege of belonging. But secondly, I want to pray for those who need transforming power in their life. Broken character, sinful habits. You're in a place in your life and you know you shouldn't be there. But I want you to know how deeply God loves you. And how he has provided a way out for you. And in this moment, just whisper up to God, lift up in your heart those areas of sin and brokenness within you where the Holy Spirit's pointing out, you need to deal with this. You need to bring this to me. And third, I want to talk about your mission. I would just think the Holy Spirit speaking to me, telling so many of you that it's not enough to belong spiritually to God's family. You need to be more connected 
to each other at Eaglemont. You need to really connect with this church. You need to know that you want to join in the mission of Eaglemont to reach Beaumont for Jesus. You need to give more. You need to be a full-on participant. You need to belong not only to the family of God, but you need to be a team member here at Eaglemont. You need to be all in. Because there is no stopping a group of people who with one heart in the power of the Holy Spirit determine to make a difference in their community. And God is calling you to be part of that. And your follow-up step of faith is to actually do that. Talk to pastor. Get engaged. Say no to things in your life that are distracting you. And adopt and accept for yourself the mission of God for your community. So, Father, we just bow before you. I'm thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for uh, the privilege of being able to talk about Jesus, who's changed my life. And I pray the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon this family, this church. I pray the light of Christ would shine so brightly through these people. I pray that you would do an exceeding abundance beyond anything they have ever thought or asked by the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in them. And I thank you this morning for every person in this room and for their story. And I thank you for the deep and eternal love that you have for them. And that they might comprehend the depth and unending reality of the love of God for them. And they pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.